This is Emerging Possibilities, powered by Volvo Group Australia. Here we talk to industry experts about the future of mobility and how it will shape both our lives and the world we live in. Hi and welcome to another episode of Emerging Possibilities brought to you by Volvo Group Australia. My name is Matt Wood and today we're joined by the CEO of the Electric Vehicle Council, Bayad Jafari. Thanks for joining us, Bayad. Bayad, can you tell me a little bit about your background before yeah. we get going? Sure thing. First of all, thanks a lot for inviting me here. It's really great to be here. I have a really varied background. Look, I started my career working in politics and but working, particularly at the beginning of your career, working in politics is unlike anything else. And that's both good and bad. <laughs> the good things about it is when you're doing your job well, it's essentially a job about issues management, except you're always being thrown into the deep end and you have to very quickly be able to work out, well, what is this industry? What is this issue? What do they need? And how can we quickly and most effectively do something positive for it? And you hope that what you're doing is positive and it has a good impact. But, you know, that that's your everyday. And so... I mean, if you think about going out into a community, for instance, we're in the middle of an election while we're recording this, your day looks like you start off by meeting with the veterans group and hearing about their issues and what they need. Then you drive straight to the surf club and you have a conversation with them and then you go to the Chamber of Commerce and you knock on a few people's doors about what their issues are. You, know, you need to be able to get across all of these things because they're very, very important to the people telling you about them. And you know, you're, you're an hour later doing something completely different. So you can't stack off in any given one of those hours. But really interestingly for me, working in that space, you know, a lot of your time is spent by people coming to you, people who are doing something really cool, really exciting, having a really great positive impact and talking about, well, what do we need it from the government out of all of this? And I was always in a position where I'd be very jealous of the person on the other side of the table saying, you guys are doing really cool things. I want to be there doing really cool things, not the one that you're coming and talking to. Uh, so I left that. I, I like to joke that I learned a lot from working in politics, mostly that I didn't want a career in politics. And so I got out of there, did a few different things working for companies, really that same type of thing, trying to come up with really cool and positive ways that we can you know, provide an impact through companies. One of the areas that I went into after that was in aged care. It was probably one of the most fulfilling things that I've done in my life. A really great few years there. Um, from there, I went into the electricity sector, working for a transmission network. Um, and this is where there's a pretty steady line to getting into electric vehicles. The electricity sector is, of course, you know, for very obvious reasons, very interested in the transition to electric vehicles. They're the first word in the name of the organization that I run now, they're electric. <laughs> and so... You know, working in there, I was at first working on a lot of things around clean energy and renewable energy, and there's quite a lot of interest about, well, the world seems to be moving towards electric vehicles. What's happening here in Australia? What are the differences? What is it that we need to do? So not so much about what are electric vehicles doing, but what are we doing here in Australia and what could we be doing? Um, and what started as a bit of a you know interesting project at work over time and somewhat organically you know, turned into a bit of a ground. So I started spending more and more of my time doing this and didn't want to do the rest of my job. <laughs> and so that's sort of the what is now the Electric Vehicle Council certainly didn't start off with a you know bold, ambitious plan for me saying, I'm going to build an organization. I just sort of started doing it and then didn't want to stop doing it. So what's the intent of the EVC? What's your vision of the purpose for the EVC? So like you said, it sort of almost sounded like a bit of a passion project yep. and it's grown into something else. So what is it? 
Yeah, so you look at what we are today, we're an industry association. So we represent companies who are investing in the electric vehicle sector. Um, now, if you know, we have things like car companies and truck companies like yourselves who are members of ours, that sounds very obvious. But we also have banks, for instance. We have you know, technology companies, professional services firms. For us, it is really there is this big transition happening. And the first mission for us is how can we accelerate that as much as possible? So accelerating that for Australia means we're currently behind a lot of other countries in the world. So how can we at least be up to speed with them? And then in the areas where we can be leaders, how can we take a leading position too? And why, you know, why start with the companies first? And you know, why try to get Australia? You know, who cares? You know, why not just let it happen otherwise? Well, that is really looking at well, what are all the benefits that Australia specifically gets out of this transition? You know, and we are talking about, of course, moving from our very important transport sector, moving it from a source of fuel that gets imported here to a source of fuel that we make here ourselves. There's a you don't have to be an economist to know that's better for Australia <laughs> to be on that, as well as of course all of the environmental all of those sort of other benefits. The engineers smiling and nodding. Yeah. <laughs> efficiency. Local locally made efficiency. Non-transfer of energy. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> well that's exactly right. and look you know, that that is why this is, you know, like you say, it sort of started off as a passion project. A passion project can go in a lot of different directions. But by being able to work with the companies who are actually interested in and getting them to invest in this sector, that's where we can drive so many of the benefits because that turns into you know, more jobs, more opportunities, more you know, more and more businesses going, coming into the sector. It's about, well, there's great things happening with electric vehicles, but how can we as a country really benefit from that as much as possible? What are some of the biggest challenges you face today? Like, I mean, I know it's still pretty embryonic, but mm. it's, uh, it's also expanding very quickly, right? Yeah, I mean, if you... So it started the organization now some six years ago. And as I say, back then, the job was very much explaining to people what an electric vehicle was. You know, it's a car or a truck that you have to plug in and charges up using electricity. That's how basic the conversation was. And some of that never goes away. You know, you have to keep explaining to people <laughs> what the thing is and those sort of very basics. But certainly in that time, we have moved. Again, smiling <laughs> and nodding. <laughs> I have the same problem, not problem, but the same conversation comes up. You know, you're still having those same level of information distribution to people and getting everyone on the same base level. You know, as, as mature as we go through this this industry as a whole, we, you have those same conversations and new ones, you know, come up and it's on repeat. You know, as an anecdote of mine, my personal favourite that keeps on coming up is why are you doing electric over hydrogen? And, you know, what's what's you know what's the difference? Why would you be doing electric? Hydrogen is going to mm. surpass. And I said, well, they are the same. They are built on the same platform. Mm. They have the same technology infusion and and development going forward. You know, it's a constant information uh, upload to people and, and distribution. But I, I did want to start. You know, Matt, you spoke about you know you came into this as a passion project, and I was going to ask a question. You know, do you still have the same passion for it? But you know, just hearing you talk on these last few minutes, you can tell you still do. And I think, what's your driver personally still going? You know, it seems you still have that same passion, but. What is, what's the driver for the EVC and going forward and continuing the, to be fair, astonishing growth that the EVC has? Yeah, look, one thing I'd say is you're running a nonprofit organization. If you weren't passionate about it, there's no good reason to do it, right? There's, uh, the more successful you get, you know, there's no billions of dollars waiting around the corner for you. Uh, it is really a, something that you have to believe in and want to do. And again, so many of the basics of that make it very obvious why I would be passionate, right? This is something that Australia can benefit from so well. And it, so it should, because it can, you know, I, I, I love the country that I'm in and I want those benefits to be realized for us. Um, and some of those, you know, some of those opportunities are just so obvious and basic for us as well. Some of them require 
quite a lot of work. They require us to compete very heavily and we still may not get some of those benefits, but some of them are very obvious for us. So I think, well, let's do the work and make sure that we realize those things, but also put ourselves in a very good position, particularly when we look at along that value chain. You know, We spend a lot of time talking about things like uh, we have a lot of mineral resources and a lot of sort of smarts in Australia. How can we go down that value chain to doing things like making batteries in, in this country? If we do not put the right effort into it, other countries will be battery manufacturing nations. You know, they are very eagerly competing to take those opportunities away from us. So it is incumbent on us to similarly compete and make sure that, you know, that, that we're realizing the benefits that we can get. And so, you know, the necessity for the work to happen, and I'd say the opportunity to be able to make it happen, knowing that, you know, there's a pathway there ahead of us. Somebody has to do it. I want to be the person <laughs> who gets to do it, but it is really trying to, you know, derive most of those ben- as most many of those benefits as possible. I think it's really, you know, interesting and valuable. You think about electric vehicles. If we as an organisation didn't exist and nobody else was doing this type of work, this is something that's going to happen. You know, it would just happen to us. The difference is it would just happen later, and a lot of the opportunities that come along the way, yeah. somebody else would take. Well, we can, and, we, and we can also shape it, I guess, as well. We're, right. We become a receiver of technologies as it is. So hearing you talk about it and understanding it and seeing at your macro level thinking of each component, each you know part of the, the puzzle that becomes an, an electric vehicle and its operations is really interesting to hear and understand. And we, you know, Volvo in particular, but I think any manufacturer in Australia would, would be very keen to understand how each of those opportunities we can make the most of. But, you know, we put on our lens and how we operate with our partners and all the rest of it, you know, it's the same philosophy, those same words are being said mm. to get the most out of the application, to get most out of the use case, to so make sure that we have those opportunities, we identify them, we we broadcast them, we make people known to people and how it can happen. And we, and we should make the most of it and go on our journey, shape it ourselves and bring it forward as fast as possible. So it's really it's really nice to actually hear you having those same words coming in here. You know, largely, we haven't conversed, you know, really conversed all on this you know, specific topic, but, you know, the drivers for you and the passion you have, you know, you're talking about a holistic industry and growing it and all the rest of it. Well, it's the same values that we bring to, to the table every day. And I think it's a part of my job in particular that you bring the passion in to, do, to get the work done, to see what we can do. And you start to see the uh, the benefits of that and the outcome. So yeah, it's really reassuring to hear, hear the EVC on the same page. <laughs> but... I suppose just listening to that and like, you know, obviously we've got a real commercial vehicle and, and bus focus, like we're all about commercial and and mm. um, and transit, urban transit. But electromobility and like electric cars, everything is just surging at the moment. And what's driving that? We've had periods of history we were just talking about earlier where like, you know, Let's go gas because yep. fuel's really expensive. But this is different. We're on a we're in a very different point in history. So yeah, look, I think a few things, and you know, a few things are obviously driving that globally. But if we look here in Australia, there is certainly that that latent demand, that sort of enthusiasm that's been there and bubbling away. We've been for some five or six years now you know, surveying Australians, doing the type of re- you know, market research that a lot of people do, and we've generally always found that more than half of Australians would like electric vehicles. Whether or not they're going to go out and buy one, they would like to be able to buy one. You know, they're, they're quite enthusiastic uh, about the technology. That's not something particularly surprising for us. I see here, as I mentioned, I come from, from electricity background. Australia is globally in this enviable position where we're a global leader in the adoption of rooftop solar panels. And you know, what we saw there, and it comes to a bit of the work that we do in the Electric Vehicle Council, we saw 
an approach that was taken nationally looking at this technology it, through the deployment of a trifecta of policies that were around setting targets, putting in place the correct standards and regulations, and providing some short-term financial incentives for people to hurry up and get buying solar panels. Those incentives are gone now. They're only needed at the very beginning. And with those three things in place, there was a period of time not too long ago that with a population of some 28 million people, Australia was net the largest adopter of rooftop solar panels. So compared to countries much, much larger than ours, we had more of these solar panels than other countries do. You know, that trifecta, that roadmap of getting there, it's exactly what other countries have done with electric vehicles as well. And so we know it works here. We know it works in other countries when it comes to electric vehicles. It gives us a very clear map of what needs to happen. But the thing that we know very clearly is if you get those pieces right, Australians are ready. When we have gotten it right in the past, we have absolutely led the world on these things. So the population is very excited and enthusiastic for this stuff. Although on that, and it's great given your background that you're sitting here talking because I was constantly hearing, I was actually uh, having a chat with a relative the other day and they're just like, oh, the grid will never cope. Mm. So if everybody gets all of these electric cars, it's going to melt down. I mean, It's fascinating. We do hear that a bit. And what's interesting is, you know, so we obviously as an organisation, we also have all the grid companies who are members of ours as well. And it's almost a polar opposite from the people who know how the grid works. Their excitement for electric vehicles is that it's actually going to make the grid more resilient. It's going to make it more reliable and it can also reduce the unit price of electricity. Our electricity system today works a lot like our roads do. We sort of have to build out a system based on peak hour, based on, you know, we need six lane highways because twice a day everybody's driving on the roads and then the rest of the time it's sitting there doing nothing. But we have to pay for pay for that system based on those six lane highways. So there's a lot of excitement there of saying, well, if we can start getting people, say, charging their car in the middle of the day or charging their car overnight, well, the roads are empty and we're putting a few cars on there. You know, that's really good for us. <laughs> that's actually hugely beneficial for us. And of course, you know, while we think about here, sitting here with Volvo, we may think about them as vehicles that drive goods around or drive people around. And an electricity company looks at them and says, well, that's a battery. It's just got four wheels attached to it. And, you know, the answer to so many of the questions that we have about the electricity sector, there are really two answers about how we continue improving the electricity grid. One is we keep building more poles and wires, and that's quite an expensive thing to do. The other thing is we deploy a lot of these things like batteries around, and that's much cheaper to do, and it's much more adaptable. Let's just use them when we need them, not use them when we don't need them. And if instead of us having to build all these very big batteries in places, everyone went out and just bought one and put it in their driveways and we get to use it when we need to, well, that makes life a lot easier for us. It's funny, like we've had the, we've been talking about this a bit recently, and you, you've you've probably got something to say on this. We were talking about the potential for like neighbourhood batteries, right? Mm -hmm. Like actually localizing. And uh, now I'm disappearing down a rabbit hole here, but <laughs> it's it's still quite fascinating because it sort of tears up the song sheet a little bit too. Like you've got some thoughts on on that as well. Oh yeah, I think nail them in the head there. Let's let's consider these not as a vehicle, but what they can bring. And you, you know, in the previous podcast, we talk about the opportunity that electric vehicles has. They almost give us a license to think about what's possible, when, how. Let's not use the old norms into this new technology. And I think that virtual power plan or you know vehicle to grid situation, and and that's that's new. But, you know, but how do we make the most of it? You know, seeing uh, and they had to be a, probably a lot of your members, you know, are going out there at the moment with 
you know, putting smart chargers in homes to understand what the economics and charging behaviours and routines look like for their vehicles to then put that back into how does this work and operate. So, you know, I still remember doing master plans for how multi-storey parking lots will become what in the future and, you know, vehicle-to-grid situations, there'll be a battery in your house and, you know, the autonomous car will take away the car park but then the vehicle-to-grid situation will will put the car park back at your home because it's your mobile battery. No, so it's really interesting to think about and consider and, you know, it's, it's again one of those points that we seem to talk about weekly, daily almost. People brings it up and go, well, they're never going to work because it's going to blow the grid up. But no, it's, it's interesting to see how the other side talks about it. Those in the know, those who are going to be owning the grids, owning the potential meltdowns mm-hmm. are thinking and this is a, a grand opportunity and I think manage right it really has an opportunity to use you know, existing infrastructure in a smarter way. As a reformed traffic engineer, I've actually never heard of it likened to a multi-lane highway as someone who tried to implement technology into traffic for a long time, not wanting the seventh lane on the motorway. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm actually quite jealous. I've never thought of it and, and you know, right. brought two worlds together. So thank you for that, Bayhat. I really appreciate <laughs> I spend it. spend almost too much time thinking about it until <laughs> you get to that point. <laughs> I, I felt the surge of uh, excitement. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah, traffic engineering. Someone's going to talk about An it. Thank anecdote you. about yeah, yeah. roads. <laughs> you, you, you were talking about uh, neighbourhood batteries, yeah. right? And there's a, you know, there's a quite sort of popular concept and a quite good one as well of rather than or as well as everyone putting a battery on their home, build a quite medium size or a large one that serves a city, a suburb, a neighbourhood within a certain area. And the idea is that would then help support the grid within that local area. And, you know, if there are very high peak times and things, you've got a battery to be able to draw on. Well, in that case, what's an electric truck depot? Mm. You've got this huge bank of batteries and every minute that you're not using the truck for trucking reasons. If you're a truck operator, well, you've got a different way to make money out of that. You've got a battery sitting there that you don't need or you're not going to need for the next six or you know eight hours. Really importantly, when we're talking about whether you know cars, buses, or trucks, and either using electricity at the right time, which is one good way to help the electricity system, or sending electricity back into the system at the right time as well. We're not talking about emptying out the battery so you can't use it anymore. We're usually talking about, you know, can we get 10% of it back and forth a little bit, do a little bit of trading. Because when we think about the challenges that we have with our electricity system, it's not that there's not enough power all of the time or there's you know some 24-7 problem. It's that two or three times a year on the hottest days, you know, on the, on the sort of you know, freak incidents, that's when that six-lane highway becomes congested, right? <laughs> and so there's, okay, well, if you happen to have a few trucks in your depot not being driven at that time, why don't you sell a bit of energy back and that's actually going to make you quite a bit of money because that's when we really need it. There's high demand. So, you know, you can, right. sell, you, can sell at a, you can sell at a higher price. I think, you know, and to put it kind of in perspective, like, you, you know, talk about home batteries versus car batteries versus truck batteries and depots. Right. Like, those depots really can become that central grid point, you know, if we, if we think holistically and, you know, in a utopian world. But, you know, to put it into perspective, you know, you've got a, I'll say, Tesla Powerwall that's 13 kilowatt hours. You've got mm-hmm. a conventional passenger vehicle battery that's 50 to 100 kilowatt hours. You know, our trucks come at 265 as a, as a, you know, starting point, you know, generic mm-hmm. standard moving to 500, 1000, you know, in the near to far future. I think, you know, when you start to look at that as, uh, at scale, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about three megawatt batteries being installed, you know, that's six of our trucks in a couple right. of years time. The ability to, to treat them not as a commodity to do transport, but to exchange energy stabilize the grid or even stabilize your own depot, your own workshop is a very exciting time. I think something that, you know, 
we can't currently do with you know the existing technology, but it you know, enables us to grow this emerging technology further as well when it's all considered. Yeah, but given philosophically the whole discussion is really driven about bioemissions and urban air quality and all that sort of stuff, you quite often hear the question asked, well, aren't you just moving those tailpipe emissions somewhere else where you can't see them, right? So like, you know, the the, the dirty old truck's no longer out the front, mm-hmm. but there's a coal-fired power station right. down yep. the road or there's um, a lot of energy being uh, put into manufacturing the vehicle and the battery and everything like that in the first place. Um, are we just smoke and mirroring it? So I think the first important piece of that is that already today, we don't need to wait. Electric vehicles are already better than petrol and diesel vehicles, right? So- Ooh, big statement. (laughs) So today we, uh, certainly when we talk about in terms of emissions, I would argue in terms, in every other sense as well. But if we just want to look at the number, you know, the the data around emissions, you know, in places like Europe, they're around 70 or 80% better if you're just using grid electricity, if you're not specifically using renewable energy. In Australia, that's more like you know sixty to fifty percent better. Places like Victoria, closer to around fifty percent because they have more brown coal. That's both because we do have more renewable energy in the grid, and that's always growing as well. But also the vehicles themselves are more efficient, so they're using less energy overall. But I think quite important here, you know, when it comes to emissions, of course, the goal is you have to do everything as quickly as possible. It isn't something that we have decades of time, you know, left on our hands on, right? And so you certainly do need to keep doing both things. You know, you do. You want to decarbonize transport as well as the electricity sector. You don't want to say that's good enough. But, and again, there's the interesting thing for me coming from, you know, you do hear this sometimes in the transport debate of, well, what about electricity? Electricity is actually way out ahead of transport. You know, this has been, there's a transition that's been happening in the electricity sector for quite a while. If you think about Australia now, some, you know, 30 going on to 40% of our electricity is coming from renewable sources. In the vehicle space for new vehicles, about 2% of new vehicle sales are electric. So when we talk about doing these things at the same time, they're actually already quite a way ahead, ahead of us on that curve. And we're already starting to see about, you know, even, even the government's projections are showing us to be well above sort of 50 to 90% renewable energy come 2030. So again, that's really important of you buy an electric vehicle, it's already more efficient today, but also you have to remember you keep that vehicle on the road for quite a period of time, right? 15, 20 odd years. So every year the grid keeps getting cleaner and so does your car. You don't have to buy a new car to make it cleaner. That same car keeps getting cleaner as you go along. But that raises an interesting point, right? Because we don't know what's what's a secondhand electric vehicle look like. What's mm. it? Does it have a second or third life? I mean, Australians are notorious for, especially in the um, truck um, and transport sector. I mean, the average age of our fleet is about fifteen years. Yep. So, is that going to be a thing or? There seems to be a bit of an underlying fear that, mm-hmm. like, we're going to get on this treadmill where, like, you know, well, I need a new vehicle every every right. three years, yeah. you know. Like, yeah, it is a fear that we hear a lot about, um, particularly because those batteries are new and people, you know, people don't know as much about them and wonder how that works. So there's a few ways that we can learn about this, right? Because Australia's been a bit slower to the mark, a lot of the electric, you know, we have some 50,000 electric vehicles on our roads at the moment, and most of those have been sold in the last couple of years. So they're not secondhand cars, they're very new cars. But we can learn by looking at other markets that have been, you know, well progressed on this issue for very many years, but they do have secondhand electric vehicles. And yeah, what we do find, I think there was a lot of concern for a while that maybe the batteries won't last. And that concern has been rebuffed of, you yeah, know, the batteries are still doing fine and they're sort of lasting as long as a you know car and now even newer ones longer than a car. And people are looking at how can we take batteries out of cars that we want to send to the smashers and do something else with them. But also the other concern was 
you know, because of that uncertainty of will they depreciate very fast as well? And quite the opposite. We found that, and I think a lot of this comes from sort of maintenance things of there's a lot less other wear and tear to those vehicles, but also around demand for cheaper electric vehicles is that the depreciation is actually quite high. You know, we're seeing we're seeing this right across the vehicle market, but we're certainly seeing this with all electric vehicles that, you know, we're seeing used electric vehicles selling in some cases for more than new electric vehicles. And that's say because people can't get their hands on new ones. Um, but certainly to prices very close to new electric vehicles as well. So in all of those respects, I say for the whether you think about it as a car, for instance, you know, yes, good second and third hand life, but for the really, you know, the new bit of it, the battery inside of it, I think that's where we're seeing some really interesting things. Um, and again, it's what we look at. And I know sort of Volvo has been looking in this area as well. And when we think about what else Australia can do of, I spoke earlier about we can manufacture the batteries, but also when they're done being electric vehicle batteries, they're still batteries and they still have life left in them. So how can we pull those things out, use them to power things like buildings, you know, uh, once they're done doing even that, how can we then take all of the really precious metals out of the battery and recycle those things and put them into new batteries <laughs> again? You know, there's this whole economy that exists around the battery itself, not the car, <laughs> you know, and and there are really great opportunities to keep chasing there. Yeah, I, I think that's a very interesting one, Bayhad. Like you talk about reusing the batteries, understanding that whether it's an Australian startup or it's a, you know, department of Volvo, that understanding, of, you know, again, we're talking about distilling of information to people is, is, it's not just a, a battery for a vehicle. You mm -hmm. know, on average, uh, heavy vehicles, passenger vehicles, it's kind of around that eight-year life warranted in a vehicle and beyond that in, you know, its performance. But once we have to that, it doesn't just stop. You know, we're talking right. about 60, 70, 80% uh, at that end of warranted life, depending on who the manufacturer is. It still has capacity and power and ability to to, to store energy. You know, so, you know, moving them into a secondary life, a stationary life, consuming either cheap or green energy uh, and playing that, you know, talk about the six-lane highway. Well, it takes probably takes a lane away because mm -hmm. um, we can diversify the supply and demand of energy. And I think that process isn't, it's not a Volvo-centric one, it's an industry-wide one, is that everyone's aiming for this, again, more efficiency gain as it comes to batteries, understanding where they live, how they live going onwards, and then what we do with them after the fact. You know, they're not just going to be put in landfill. They yep. are a precious mineral and we have a lot of commodities sitting in them. We can recycle them, we can reuse them, we can rebuild them to a, a new manufactured life. And I think, you know, distilling, again, distilling the information and getting letting people know that it's not about the car that lasts on your three, five-year lease. Yep. The vehicle is still the vehicle, the vehicle can still run and, they, you know, people can be afraid of what the battery is going to do. You know, it is new. Mm -hmm. We don't have long-term data on exactly what it is or experiences even, you know, but understanding that and, you know, cascading that on to make sure people are aware that it it lives on. There's other benefits to it. It's not just cast aside. I think it's a really important part to make sure we, we get out there. And again, I keep coming back to a lot of the, the uh, philosophical mm. elements that keep getting it. It's always um, there's an undercurrent where uh, people are kind of uh, questioning why this is happening. Australia's fine. Why you know, all this stuff coming from overseas is kind of ruining it all and all that sort of thing. But, like, um, also there's a lot of accusations of, of like, you know, at the moment of, like, uh, corporate you know, greenwashing and virtue signalling and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And what are your thoughts on that? Because it's seen as a bandwagon, right? No, I'd say you started with a really good point there on, you know, why is this happening because things are fine. And 
uh, I think that's the first misconception that things aren't fine, <laughs> right? So certainly, I mean, I, I won't re-prosecute too many of the arguments of climate change, but certainly on that front, they are absolutely not fine. And so, you know, this is something that is necessary and as I mentioned before, something that's going to happen regardless because it's necessary. But, you know, when we sort of talk about what what else can Australia do and how specific, more specifically does it impact Australia and not just the world, that's where, I mean, if we look at Australia in the last 12 months alone with our fuel security, with sort of petrol and diesel and being able to get supplies of crude oil and petrol and diesel in this country, the federal government in the last 12 months alone has spent some $6 billion in order to help prop up fuel refining and help to, reduce fuel excise into putting uh, increasing uh, supplies of our uh, and fuel resources in places like the USA, which I don't know how that increases our fuel security, but <laughs> rather than the USA's fuel security, but that's another debate. But the status quo is very expensive. Mm-hmm. In the last 12 months alone, we've spent $6 billion of taxpayer money to help fix it. Wow. And Some $250 per person, but you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And that doesn't provide any long-term solution to the problem, right? That gets us over this current hurdle. And the next time there's some geopolitical, con- hopefully not a war, but some type of conflict, we're right back to where we started from. We're up for another $6 billion. We had the thing earlier this year with AdBlue shortages, right? Mm. So it wasn't yeah. even fuel. It was just um, auxiliary commodity, uh, you know, associates with fuel. Yeah, I, like, right. I, I, I think, you know, it's a big one for, for me. And, 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 you know, we've talked about the efficiency of it and, you know, not having to transfer energy and all the rest of it. But, you know, being able to... I don't know, even just have the opportunity, the potential to make your own energy on your roof, whether it's at scale, mm. whether it's scale of a commercial business or, you know, personally right now I'm annoyed my EV is not at home, soaking up this <laughs> beautiful uh, Queensland sun. But, you know, having that ability and flexibility to to have our own, you know, energy sovereignty and security. And it's, and again, you know, we've spoken about in the, in the trucking community and all the rest of it, but you know, it's not for everyone. We can appreciate that. But the more and more we grow, the more and more we we, we see it a potential, it, it does break down those barriers. It does. We do get to see a, a economy of scale sooner rather than later. I, I, I know, Bayhead, we've, we've spoken about, you know, you, you can talk about the points of climate change and all the rest of it, but you bring it down to the user and the you know, day-to-day operations is that we have this potential to to be self, you know, to self-sufficient with it. We have options to do ourselves. We don't have to, you know, go to the Bowser and be surprised we're paying $2.50. You know, we can lock in what we're doing, you know, generating at home, whatever it is. I think that part of it for me adds a lot of value. And, you know, anecdotally, personally, I still love getting, waking up every morning with a 100% tank. It'll do me 500 kilometers. There's not too many days in the you know, in the year that I drive more than 500 kilometers. Mm. But every morning I get up and I can you know I can drive that 500 kilometers. I don't have to go to ta- don't have to go to a Bowser. I've you know either imported from the grid at a cheaper price overnight or green from the day before. You know I think it's a it's a very user friendly way of dealing with it. Let alone we talk about security. Let alone we talk about the environment. You know bring it down to the user the user experience. It's a Quite interesting, and Matt, I know you. Uh, you know you, you're ready. No, I'm just I'm just <laughs> listening to the smug EV driver. <laughs> <laughs> if I could share another example from the electricity sector, I mean, we had this with what happened with rooftop solar panels, where a lot of very smart people pulled over spreadsheets that would tell you based on the purchase price and how much you're going to save and all of those things. Here is when it makes sense financially for somebody to buy a solar panel, and based on that, they said, "Well, here's what we think is going to happen with uptake and you know all of our projections." And they all got it wildly wrong. And mm-hmm. because for the customer, much like you don't buy a fridge or a video game or anything else using a spreadsheet, you buy it based on, you know, feel, 
that was the part they were missing of customers really enjoyed the fact that I can put this thing on my roof, make my own electricity, maybe stick it to the electricity rates. Yeah, yeah. But there's also a satisfaction in that, right? And I, talking about smug EV drivers, I, I get that smug satisfaction every time when in the sort of once a fortnight when I do plug in my car, I look there and go, look at that. My car's there refueling itself right now while I'm watching Netflix. Isn't this wonderful? <laughs> what gets me is, and, I, and I'd really like your thoughts on it because we've discussed this a lot, is why is it so emotionally charged, right? Like we all poke around on the internet and go, oh, look at this new electric <laughs> motorcycle or this new electric, you know, whatever. And uh, especially on social media, like there's so many people that it seems so angry about it and it's like, Nobody's coming for your car. I mean, this is a really critical question when you get to some of the fundamental parts of my job, right? Of a certainly today, you want everybody who wants an electric vehicle to be able to get an electric vehicle, and then over the span of time, you want everybody in the country to want an electric vehicle and to be able to get one as well. And again, where it's helpful to sort of draw back on my you know, experience working in politics too, of the people who you're hearing a lot from are generally people who either really love what you're saying or really hate what you're saying. But then there's the 99% of the rest of the country <laughs> that you're probably not hearing from. And so it's really important in these things to make sure, and 99% is unfair, you've probably got 10% and 10% on either extremes and then 80% of people. And so when you're having these conversations and thinking about the ways to have these conversations to reach people, it gets really important not to spend too much of your time sweating about either extreme, really. So, you know, you certainly might not like one of them and really like one of them, but you also don't want to cater only to your own fan base and you also don't want to cater to your biggest detractors. You want to make sure that you're actually effectively talking to everyone. And I think there, that conversation is much more sensible of a, this is something new and I don't know about it, kind of cool and interesting. You know, give me some more, you do stuff like this. <laughs> you do a podcast, right? Give me a bit of education about how it all works. It's not a life or death scenario for me. I don't need to either love or hate it. It's a car, it's a truck, it's a bus. It gets me to where I'm going. It gives, brings me my goods. Fine. <laughs> yeah. You know, give, give me the right information to make my own decision on right. it. You know, and that's and that's where, as you said, this is why this podcast is is coming into you know being created is to give that information out there to understand, like inform people, and it's about making their own decisions, but making having the correct information to make yes. correctly informed decisions on that's that. Right. And, and it's an important part of the journey because, it, you know, it, you know, this this podcast is emerging possibilities, but mm -hmm. we are talking about still an emerging industry. So making sure that the right information and the right amount of information is going out there is, is critical for growing this in a strong and healthy way. So I suppose just winding the conversation up, what's the ABC's vision of the future? And on the back of that, what's the automotive landscape in this country look like in five years' time and then 10 years' time? Yep. Sorry, big question, I know. No, yeah, you're right. It, I think five years is a really good pinpoint for it because we certainly have a plan. I mentioned earlier we want to accelerate the adoption of electric vehicles and that's not just a broad statement. We have a very good idea of what we mean by accelerate. So what we'd like to see is at least one million electric vehicles on our roads in the next five years. And why that critical mass is quite important for us is how can we build the momentum to solve that whole ecosystem of challenges of there are plenty of companies we just heard from uh, some of them even just yesterday who want to build more charging stations and the big question that they've got is not what are charging stations and how do we build them is well how many customers are we going to have and by when mm. how many electric yep. vehicles are going to be on the mm -hmm. roads you know when you think about the question things that we've been talking about around the electricity grid again it's not how do we manage electric vehicles on the electricity grid? It's how many electric vehicles are we managing on electricity grid and by when? So this planning and this coordination is really important to us. And 
for those projections to be stronger than ever, rather than you know, rather than that one million taking ten years, it taking five years means that people can get on with investing more and doing more things, providing more products, more services, and importantly, making sure more Australians are getting to benefit from this new technology as well. Cool. One thing I'll say, to be fair, Bayhat, is thank you very much for for joining us. It's been uh, very enlightening to hear you the way you approach this and align with us as well. I think talking about misinformation, information, mm. education, you know, it's it's important. And and to be fair, I don't want to say that, you know, we're educating the masses, but like I'm learning every day still. It's a, it, as it said, it's an emerging technology, an emerging industry. It's really important to keep your ears open and understanding and, and, and pushing through truths. And, uh, you know, part of this podcast series is going to be us talking about, you know, a lot of that ecosystem, uh, a lot of those components that complement each other. And everyone talks about the chicken or the egg, but I think we're all growing together. You know, once we've got the electricity grid ahead of us, we're talking about product, we're talking about timeframes, you know, it's the how and mm. when. It's going to be really interesting to hear. You know, and it's a, it's a nice one probably to lead with with you, you know, giving the lay of the land and and then filling in each of those components as we go forward. So a very big thank you and I appreciate your time. No, yeah, thanks a lot for having me here. I think, yeah, particularly for what a lot of what we've been talking about, it just requires a lot, right? People mm-hmm. have to be able to have access to the information, have somewhere to turn to. And so without sucking up, I think it's also really great and important that Volvo's decided to invest some time into doing this because, yeah, people are, you know, they want to hear it from as many places as possible before it can finally sink in. So a really important thing to get to do. And I'm sure you'll have no shortage of episodes because there are so many interesting different topics and people to get to talk to in the space. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come and uh, speak to us and thank you for listening and I hope you can join us again for another episode of Emerging Possibilities. Thank you for listening to Emerging Possibilities. Send your comments, suggestions and questions to emerging.possibilities at volvo.com and of course, remember to rate and review this show.